Higher Things thanks you for your support. Please continue to support the work we do with youth by going to our website at higherthings.org, clicking on support and donating securely through PayPal. Your gift helps us in our mission to support pastors, youth workers, and parents in daring our church's youth to be Lutheran. Hello and welcome to the Gospel Boldly Podcast, where we confess with St. John that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We're your hosts, I'm Thomas Lemke. And I am Pastor Eric Brown. And before we get on into the book of Acts, we're going to be starting up again at Acts chapter 13. I would just like to remind you that this is a Higher Things podcast. And now, Thomas, Mm. we are one of three podcasts produced by higher things excellent all right okay and so i i do want to plug the other two ones they're they're just starting out uh one is two episodes out as i record and the other is one but they might have more by the time this goes to air uh the first one that i want to talk about is the black cloister with the hosts of pastors chris hull and aaron fanker now thomas do you know what the black cloister is not the podcast but the actual black cloister what that that is a reference to yeah i think it was luther's abode in wittenberg if i'm not mistaken Ooh, his abode yes it was the old honest uh, augustinian uh cloister which was then given to luther when he got married and and the reason they named this uh, podcast after the Black Cloister is Luther was famous for the table talks where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. later on in his life, the honor was you'd get to come on over and have dinner over at the Luther's house and they talk theology and you'd get a topic and you'd get all these sorts of practical, earthy, winsome bits of advice. And so this podcast, the Black Cloister is going to have a uh, pastor's Hollenfinger basically sit down and they're going to end up coming up with topics and then up, end up looking at those topics from a wide array of pastoral, practical, how does this apply to my life? What does this what does this mean for for how I live my life tomorrow? Like the first episode they talked about troubled consciences. How does that play out in everyday life? Mm-hmm. So it looks like it should be a very fun, entertaining and informative podcast on a uh, topical, pastoral, practical level. Nice. All right? Okay. Does I, when I say pastoral, I don't mean oh, only pastors listen to it, but rather you know, the kind of thing that if you ask the pastor for advice, they'd say. That's what I mean by pastoral. Right, yeah. Then the next and the other podcast is As Lutheran As It Gets, and that is hosted by Pastors Donovan Riley and Christopher Gillespie. And this one is an interesting one. They've had two episodes out. They're both fantastic. And what they're doing is they're looking at uh, various influential Lutheran theologians. Luther, Hermann Sasse, I think they're going to do some Norman Nagel, other stuff like that. Just authors who wrote stuff that had an impact upon them and their theological thinking, and they're just going to look at small segments, two or three paragraphs from various writings, and dig on into what's going on in there. So it really is a a great way of looking at some of the, the breadth of 
what other theologians have written and getting into some of the great meat. It is a fantastically meaty podcast, and I recommend both of them to you. You can find them online at higherthings.org. Click on the podcast link or the media link, and you'll be able to get to them. Same area that you can get to our podcast. Aha! And they are also available on iTunes, probably Google Play and the other one. I I, I have an iPhone, so that's the one I use. Stitcher, maybe. What? Cool. Oh, uh, Stitcher would be one of the other ones. No, no, it, so it's, it's, ah, it, it's the one that goes with uh, the Android one. Uh, Google, Google Play, Play iPhone. Oh, okay. Oh, you can find it wherever your podcasts are found online. <laughs> there we go. That sounds better. So, um, and of course, the best way to listen to any of these podcasts is with a little bit of Coffee by Coffee by Gillespie. Also of the As Lutheran As It Gets. Coffee by Gillespie. As coffee as it gets. I just made that up on the fly. I have no idea if that worked. So, all right. Um, we're in the book of Acts. We're really in the middle of it. Acts 13. And things are really starting to go bad for the church. Or I should say things are starting to get dangerous. You've had James the Apostle killed off. Uh, Herod's just died, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for the church, but I mean, the the violence is ratcheting up. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to shift away from Judea and look at other places. So if you want to dive on in at uh, Acts 13, verse 1, that would be wonderful. Sure. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now we're shifting up to Antioch. And remember, Antioch is the northern city, vastly important city in the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. And you've got a bunch of people there who are amongst the clergy there. That when it says prophets and teachers, that, that's what it's really talking about. They they are the, the clergy in that place. And two of them are noteworthy, Barnabas and Saul. And Thomas, if you want to remind people who are Barnabas and who who are Barnabas and Saul. Ah. Okay. Who is Barnabas and who is Saul? There we go. Barnabas, the cousin of John Mark, um, and Saul. Uh, well, whose name means son of encouragement, I guess, maybe we're throwing out. Saul is, everybody knows who Saul is. What do you mean remind people? Saul is Paul. Yeah, we're, just pre, we're talking pre, about Paul. Paul Pre-P. Right, right, right. Now, now note, even after his conversion, he's still called Saul. He didn't change his name when he got converted. He the When he's amongst the Jewish people, they call him Saul. When he when he's out amongst the Roman people, they call him Paul because his official Roman name is Paul, and the closer they did in Hebrew is Saul. Yeah, okay, all right, there we go. There you go. For that rant in full, you can find it on a previous episode of the Gospel <laughs> Boldly podcast. So anyway, they're going to be sent out on, on mission work. All right, you're going to go on out. So, so we get, are getting the start of what is called Paul's first missionary journey. So let's carry on. Okay. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. 
Now, very uh, quickly. So they're heading on out to the island. And what's the first place they go to? Cyprus? Well, let's well, see, from Seleucia. Uh, what, what, or are we looking at the previous paragraph here? Not not what geographic place, but oh. what type of place do they start preaching in? A uh, non-Gentile or non-Jewish place? Like non- no. no? Okay. They start off in the synagogues of the Jews. Oh, oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> And so, so this is the thing. the The standard thing is, hey, we're we're dealing with with Jewish people. We're we're dealing with the Jewish faith. So even even Paul, the the great preacher to the Gentiles, when he first starts the first missionary journey, the the normal modus operandi is just, hey, we're we're going to go to the synagogues because mm-hmm. these are the people who know, who in theory know who God is and should be waiting for the Messiah. So they should be happy to hear the news of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it makes sense. And he comes into a uh, comes across a false prophet named Bar Jesus. Now, what does Bar mean at the beginning of a name? Son of. Yeah, just like Bar uh, Barnabas's son of. All right, so so they come across a guy named Jesuson. <laughs> if, if you want to make it sound more <laughs> Swedish, so uh, it's basically like the same thing like son at the end of a name in in modern English. So, all right, carry on. Okay, he was with the proconsul. Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, uh, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, uh, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and he saw what had occur- uh, when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord." So what we have here is we have this opposing, uh, this opposition of a, a false prophet, a magician, a, a, a wonder worker. And, and note there's distinction, ooh, what would be the difference in nuance between a magician and a false prophet? Well, uh, magicians wouldn't necessarily make claims about the future, I guess. No. Okay. Think about false prophets, not in terms of predictions of the future, but in terms of speaking for the one true God. Mm-hmm. Okay. A, a prophet is one who speaks the word of the Lord. So if he is a false prophet, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he is speaking lies about God, claiming to do things from God when not sent by God. Okay. A magician is just doing wonder worker and stuff like that. So you could be a wonder worker ah. without saying anything about God. And likewise, you could be a false prophet without trying to do any magical tricks. I see. This guy's got them both combined. He, he is the bad, nasty juju combination of, of <laughs> what you come across. Gotcha. And, and basically, he's, he wants to set up the contest. He wants to try and basically interrupt Paul and, and Barnabas from preaching to the, the proconsul, who, who, who would be a Gentile, who's heard all this stuff going on and he's interested, and the hammer gets dropped on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, have we heard of anyone going temporary, temporarily blind before in this, this book? Yeah, this seems like a turnabout <laughs> being some kind of weird fair play for Paul against yeah. another guy. Tr- Trust me, fellow, this is actually for your own good. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it'll spin out well for you. But but right now, yeah, you got to have the smack laid upon you. And the pro-counsel, oh, okay. So so 
this is actually going really pre- rather well. I mean, the the opposition that they faced looks to be semi conquered and taken over. So, all right. So let's carry on a bit more. Okay. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. All right. Very quickly, we're going to pause. There was a little note in there. Uh, John left them. (laughs) They have their first adventures on the island. The false prophet and magician shows on up and, and... Paul and Barnabas are like, okay, we're going to go up here now. And John's like, yeah, I'm going to go home. (laughs) Split the party. Uh, Basically, the implication is it got a little much for John Mark, and he decided to bail. And whether that is his youth or what have it, it, yeah. And it's going to be, this is going to be a source of friction later on. Mm -hmm. But anyway, they go to not Antioch where they came from, but Antioch in Pisidia which is a different town but has the same name. Antioch kind of worked like Springfield in the U.S. Hey, Thomas, we're going to Springfield. Does that tell you where we're going? No, there's so many of them. It could. Are we going to Illinois, Massachusetts, Missouri? (laughs) Antioch almost worked the same way. It became a very common name in the ancient world. So anyway, they're there, and they go to the synagogue, and what happens? Uh, And the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers— Oh, after, rather, the reading from the Law and the Prophets. The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Oh, if only there is someone who would have a word of encouragement based upon this this reading from the scriptures. Oh, I, I wonder... We probably shouldn't get into it right now as we're getting ready to go to the break. But I'm wondering if after the break, we're going to hear a good word of encouragement from the scriptures. I hope so, right? (laughs) Okay, so let's get ready for our break. We'll actually do the backwards live first, and then we will come back and we will get to hear Paul preach. Instead of just hearing Paul lay down smack on a false prophet magician, we'll actually get to hear some preaching. So if you cannot preach like Paul, okay, all right, we'll, we'll come back. And welcome back to the Gospel Bully Podcast, and it is now time for the Backwards Life. Dun, dun, dun. Where, where Thomas will bring up something that comes up in, in theological discussions and stuff like that, and we will address it in a backwards fashion. So, I, I try to make it sound more ominous today, because I thought it would be a little bit more tense and edgy. Because, I mean, now we, now there are other podcasts around from higher things, so we need to up our game we so, we, so we can still be the pri- <laughs> premier podcast. Um, still. Or maybe, <laughs> or possibly. Speaking of a backward life, we're the best pot. Oh, not really. Step into the octagon, other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we shouldn't do that. Uh, Pastor Riley does a lot of jujitsu stuff. He would he would wipe the floor, man. Of course, oh, you gosh. actually know the 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 karate type stuff. So anyway, yeah, well, my black belt's gathered some dust for some years now. But <laughs> all right, so what what is uh, our topic or approach today for the backwards life? All right, what I want to know from you, and and I, I anticipate there will be a lot of backward angles to take this on, is, you know, we're reading a book that's kind of set with a lot of history right now. Why do we need to study history in the context of, say, the Jewish nation or the scriptures or even church history or the history of theology? 
why isn't it good enough just to look at dogmatic statements and study um, systematics? Isn't uh-huh. it enough just to look at, you know, say, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed and skip the rest? I don't need to know, you know, how many wives Solomon had per se because, goodness gracious, we have, again, the Apostles, the Nicene Creeds, Athanasian. Um, so how would, you, how would you address that, I guess, matter oh. of systematics versus? I don't want to put a versus there, but historical. I'm going to go two ways on that. First, okay. First, just as a passing comment, I don't need to know that. Well, okay, that that's nice that you don't need to know it, but it might be useful for someone else. So quit being so self-centered. <laughs> I, I mean, it, you know, may, may, maybe there are other aspects or nuances of the entire word of God that God might be using to influence other people that you don't really care about. And you know what? That's okay. It's not all about you. It might be for you, but it's not all about you. So, okay, that that's not really the main thrust of the answer, but I was <laughs> okay. just like, okay, yeah, just because you don't like it. Well, I I don't like strawberries on my ice cream. I don't see why Dairy Queen should have strawberries. <laughs> oh, come on. All right. One of the things that I would point out, and and my my full front bias, I am uh, by trade in many ways a historian, so so I, I am biased on this. But I would note that I'm going to hearken back to the big theological debates between. Uh, in uh, the the big exegetical debates in the the sixties and seventies, the battle over the Bible, mm-hmm. the the two rival ways of reading the Scripture were the historical critical method, where basically uh, the the reader places himself in a critical position above the Scriptures and says, "I will I will determine what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, pick things apart." And the the part that the Missouri Senate said that we would take was what is called the historical grammatical approach. And the point of that is, in order to understand this text, this, this, this corpus that is the word of God, you really need to understand two things to know what is going on. You need to understand the history, the historical context of what is going on, the, the reality of what is going on, and then also the grammar, how the words work. Uh, a simple example of how History matters when reading a text. Thomas, if you pick up a book from 1880 and it says, John was very gay, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? He was a happy boy. Right. Now, that same thing written in 2017 could have a drastically different meaning that the book in 1880 is never going to imply that that mm-hmm. that wasn't the euphemism that wasn't the term used the sure. context the history of when it was written and where it is written is vital for understanding what's going on the scriptures are real books in the sense that they deal with real people living in real historical times it, it's not a long time ago in a galaxy far far away it's not once upon a time it, it's Specific time periods with specific eras, cultures, cultural norms, and customs. So a lot of the historical details are really useful for reminding us and and letting us know what the historical realities, what the context of the the writing itself is. Like we just had a little nugget about, oh, look, there was a proconsul. Well, again, that reminds us, hey, we're in the middle of the Roman Empire. Yay! And, and things like that. So that provides the the groundwork, the context for that, how we can understand and evaluate what's actually happening. 
the 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 reality of Solomon having multiple wives in his context in that time period, being a a king in the the ancient Near East near, uh, around three thousand years ago, would be radically different than. Thomas Lumpke having multiple wives and then his his one wife who I actually hit up hitched him to finding out and breaking in and like beating the tar out of him. Different context. Getting into bigamy case law and all this. Stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. So I mean <laughs> the reason why this history is useful is because it, it reminds it sets the reality. Um I, I, I hesitate to use this word because I'm going to use it in a non-technical sense. Uh, euphemistically, we end up having the idea of things as myth, right? If I just say myth, what, what do you think of? Or popularly speaking, what do people think of? Uh, untrue thoughts about the past, like, uh, yeah, fake things. Right, which is actually completely backwards. Classically speaking, a myth was fundamentally a story that was true. Myth just mm-hmm. means story. A story that explains something, a story that conveys truth. We have this idea of of anything old as being probably untrue. The historical context is designed to show that, no, this is not just a fabricated sometimes, sometimes story. Imagine, it's not a giant parable, but no, we're dealing with actual living, breathing people. And these are the events that happened in their lives because our God is a God who interacts and comes down and deals with people in the flow of time, in the flow of history. So, of course, our our scriptures are going to be a book that has a massive historical context, a massive historical component to them. So that kind of get at what you were asking, or is there a nuance or follow-up? Or Yeah, definitely. Maybe you could speak a little bit more, though, to the, the, the place of systematics and how that how maybe they complement one another and, and what okay. the case is there. See, I knew I kind of riffed a little bit more on history and you were kind of do the whole history versus systematic thing. Um, <laughs> what happens and, and, and really this is why having, having a proper context for reading the, the, the book is important is that when you do systematic theology, you are creating a system. You're 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 basically taking the entirety of scripture and then instead of looking at it as discrete historical events, you're trying to come up with topics that you'll deal with. All right, we're gonna do uh we're gonna talk systematically about the Lord's Supper. And so what you're doing is you're going to pull out all the things that kind of play off of the Lord's Supper and compile them and rearrange them and talk about them in a topical fashion. If you're going to be able to do that accurately, you have to understand the history and context of the book. Otherwise, otherwise the way you approach it and pull things out for your system will be all wonky, will be all out of, out of whack. So basically, and, and really if you go on to actual church history, church history is really nothing more than the history of, the systematization or the history of how the scriptures are read. The danger, systematic theology is a useful tool. I know you gave the example of, of the Nicene Creed or Mm -hmm. the Apostles Creed, where, where we have these statements that are summations of what the scriptures teach. There's a difference between the summation and 
the the living word of God that proclaims what Christ has done. I can talk about being married or or I I could I could talk to a young couple getting about ready to get married in premarriage counseling about things about marriage. When I prepared my premarital counseling, I'm doing this because I'm looking at Thomas who went through premarital counseling under me. (laughs) I systematically brought up topics and ideas that are going to come up in marriage. Is that correct? Yep. All right. Thomas, is that the same thing as actually being married and going Mm. through it? No. (laughs) No, no, it's useful. It helps understand. It becomes a great shorthand for recognizing. And this is one of the things where where the the creeds, the systematic statements are a great check on me. If I'm reading the scriptures and I say, well, wait a second, that makes it sounds like uh, uh, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Oh, wait, no, I remember the creed. Yeah. So that means I'm reading my 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 scriptures wrong. (laughs) So so the systematic statements are meant to be a useful guide for making sure we don't run down false rabbit trails when we read the scriptures, but they're not Mm. meant to be a replacement thereof. In fact, if you were to try to to separate systematic theology from the scripture, you'd get nothing. It it would sort of be like saying, well, I I read a movie review, therefore I don't need to go see the movie, even though the movie review said it was awesome. It's enough enough that Rotten Tomatoes told me it gets 98% thumbs up score. Since I've read that it's so good, I don't need to go see it. That that would be nonsensical. And, right. and that's the same thing. You can't set systematics over and against the scriptures and their historical veracity. Nice. D- does that like kind of work better? Yeah, that movie comparison really clenched it. Okay. Nice. All right. Hey, that, that was off the cuff, man. I, I hadn't done that before. Nice. I, I actually made a, another movie comparison. Okay. How much time do we have before break? Three minutes? About three and a half minutes. Okay. I'm, I'm going to rant on something else slightly, and we'll, we'll get to Paul after the next break, I think. <clears throat> so with my men's Bible study, we're going over the book of John. And as our longtime Gospel Bodily listeners will know, uh, hey, have we gone over the book of John? Sure did. All right. And I, and I came up with something last night. I can't remember if I, I ever brought it up while we were going through John, but I think it kind of works with what the Gospel of John is doing. I want to bounce it off of you now, Thomas. Okay. Um, you can think of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as sort of like a movie that's telling the story in the normal fashion, where, where it's just kind of you're following along the main flow of the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Events unfold. You can think of the gospel of John almost as a movie that is told by way of flashback. Mm-hmm. In the sense that that you're supposed to know the the main events of the story, but instead you're looking back. And when you look back in a flashback in a movie, you're not just highlighting the narrative. Right. But you're highlighting so many things in and around the narrative that you didn't see at the beginning, That, but that all pointed forward to mm-hmm. what was going on. Definitely. For, for example, where this came up, the wedding at Cana. How does the text on the wedding of Cana start? And Jesus went down to Cana with his... No, no, no. All right, all right. Citation. Yeah, see, see, I'm asking you totally out of the blue where I I heard it last night. Now I'm going to (laughs) actually flip to it to make sure I read it right. All right. Yeah, yeah. John 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, think about how John introduces that. We know the story. We we know we know the creed. We we have the 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 touchstones. If I just say third day, what do you think of? Well, the resurrection. I mean, immediately. 
I'm thinking so, Jonah. I'm thinking resurrection. Right. So I mean that that when John tells the story, you have that weighted turn up for a term up front, like you wouldn't a flashback. And in fact, if I say a wedding feast, do you think of anything else in the New Testament with the idea of wedding feasts? I mean, maybe not as strong as at Cana, but you have like parables and stuff. You the wedding imagery is the one of the main messianic images. So you have the yeah. introduction to the wedding at Cana prefaced with two major Christian messianic images. True, so true. what John is doing is like you're getting the flashback, but it's saying, this is messianic, this is messianic, this is messianic. Although those are things that wouldn't have really stood out at the time. So do you say it's almost highlighting things via flashback? Definitely. So, all right, there we go. That's, that's fun. All right, so now we'll go to break again. And now instead of me rambling, we'll let Paul ramble. Ooh, oh, I will let Paul talk. All right, back after the break before I get myself in more trouble. <laughs> and welcome back to the Gospel Bully Podcast, where we're actually going to get back into Romans, uh, Romans, Acts 13, uh, where, where Paul is ready to preach in Pisidian Antioch, and that'll pick up at verse 16. So without any further ado, let's dive on in there. Thomas. Okay. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now, I'm going to pause just there in the middle of it, and I, I want to point out something very neat that Paul is doing. Who is the person who's doing everything in this sermon? God did this, and then they did this and this. One of the things to, to note is how is Paul preaching the scriptures? It is the story of God's activity for his people, even sometimes over and against them or what have you. So, mm -hmm. all right. So, so we're just note how heavily influenced or heavy, heavily focused is on the action of God. Remember, even though we're in the Acts of the Apostles, the point is, no, really, what's going on is an act of God. All right, mm -hmm. so carry on. Okay. Of this man's offspring, God has made to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. 
All right, I'm just going to pause right there. Okay. A- anything that that strikes you about how this preaching, the sermon, is going? Well, we got to Jesus pretty quick after a brief recapitulation to to kind of draw the lineage of the Messiah. Um, I guess we're assuming, and this is after Pentecost, after all, we're assuming at this point that these people would have heard of Jesus. So it's not uh, altogether out of left field. Am I missing anything? Well, I'm just, uh, again, noticing how this is all clearly focusing on, look, this is God at work. Yeah. We're, We're not trying to convince you of anything. We're just laying out the simple facts of here is what God has done. And, and as the faithful, you should recognize this. You should acknowledge this. If you listen to the prophets that are uttered in in the synagogues every Sabbath, just like we're here hearing the prophets being uttered, you should recognize what's going on, just as you recognize what went on in the Old Testament. Best All right? recognize. Okay. All right. So carry on. Okay. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. All right, already away, he is saying, look, we've had this set up in, the, in, in Moses, in the, the prophets, and in the psalms. That's the entirety of scripture for, from the, the Jewish perspective. That is mm-hmm. everything you need to know. That that's that in fact that's how they labeled off the Old Testament. The 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 Torah, the books of Moses, the prophets, and and then the writings, the Psalms. Mm-hmm. So this is basically everything that you see in the Old Testament is all diving driving to and pointing to the fact that the Messiah would come and here he is. All right? Cool. Beautiful. Well, well set up. All right. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Now, note how beautifully and clearly Paul ties us to forgiveness. And even then, not just forgiveness, but you will be freed from the freed by freed from all the things from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Hey, uh, Thomas, does the uh, the law of Moses take away your sin? It does not. Peter says in a couple chapters from now, that it's a heavy yoke upon the Jewish people and has been for right. some time. Right. So so again, it's like, no, the, this is the point. The point is the Messiah who comes and brings forgiveness. The one who does not see corruption is going to free us from death, which would bring us to corruption. He's going to give us resurrection. He's going to give us life. He's going to give us all the things that we could not get simply by following our customs. Mm-hmm. The customs are, in fact, just meant to prep us and prepare us for his coming. 
So pretty good, right? I, I like yeah. that. That's like, oh, I'm so glad that Pastor Brown likes Paul's sermon. That that I'm sure <laughs> Paul feels very validated. But but do you see how it just kind of gets to the point and, and encapsulates everything? And look, this Jesus is a fulfillment of the entire history of the Old Testament. See what I did there? Uh, the, the history of the Old Testament culminates and dives into Christ who, who brings forgiveness. I, I, I love that. Let me known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Mm-hmm. This is the reality. Sins are forgiven. And by him, by him, everyone who believes is freed. So the 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 pro- proclamation of forgiveness is proclaimed. You believe by him and you have it. Ah, oh, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Saved by grace through faith. Yay. All right. Nice. Let's carry on. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, "It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth." Now, this is the great, interesting twist. When does Paul start preaching to the Gentiles. Well, after the Jews told him, hey, come back and see us. We loved what you had to say. And then he comes oh, back and they, they Oh, wait, say, too many people are here. This yeah. is getting too big. Oh, <laughs> crap, we better not, cut them we're, down. We're not to, it's kind of like, oh, that, that band, man, their first album was great. And it was all, and then after that, they turned garbage and sold out. And now it's, it's kind of a, like a hipster effect. Almost. Well, well, it is. <laughs> we're not it the is. onlys anymore. It is almost a bit of that 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 pettiness that come up, can come about when something you thought was neat and special suddenly gets too popular. And it's yeah, like, oh, yeah. oh no, I have to associate with too many people. They're they're too popular now. I'm not special enough. Now I've got to take uh, it down. Right, and, and so I mean, it's that that almost almost that same sort of dynamic at play. Gentiles and, ruined it by association. Now we've got to burn it. Oh, oh, I can't believe they hit mainstream. Now now I can't listen to them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that they actually show up on the radio, I can't listen to them anymore. Uh-oh. That speaks <laughs> poorly of our podcast in Lincoln. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, nine, 95.7 The Cross. Sort of almost the mainstream. All right. Yep. <laughs> let's carry on and finish the chapter. Okay. Let's see. Uh, and when, <clears throat> wait, uh, uh, 48, I'm right. Yeah. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited uh, the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred, uh, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Then the disciples were filled with the joy, uh, with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is the beautiful irony. They preach, people believe, and here's the irony. All right, 
we're gonna, we're mad at Paul. We don't like what they're preaching, so we're gonna drive them out. That'll show them. Yeah. Well, what does it show them? Oh, great, another place to go preach the gospel. It's one of the things where there's almost a bizarre self-centeredness in the sense that, oh, well, as long as we drive them out of our town, that'll show them, because they don't get to stay in Pisidian Antioch. That'll learn them. <laughs> uh, 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 okay, all right. We we can just go over to Iconium. We can go. We can go. We we don't have to. It's not like being here in, in your town is the ultimate goal. No, we we've got a message of salvation that you know we're 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 gonna let's see that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Well, you can't stay here. Get on out of here to the ends of the earth. Oh no! What have you done? You have sent me <laughs> to the ends of the. Oh, I, I can't. That's like so, so, killing a dandelion when it's dead and its seeds are up with a weed whacker going, ha, get out of my lawn, you dandelion. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh Or, or. you just the, the wind this, beneath the, my sails. This also plays into the whole fact that God is in control of history. Um, again, you think of Joseph talking to his brothers. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Well, all right, you, you guys tried to, oh yeah, you really showed us by driving us out of there. But look, you just did it for the spread of the gospel and you didn't realize it. And, and even though, even though Paul and Barnabas get kicked out of, of Pisidian Antioch, Hey, the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy spirit. Did it stop the spirit? Nope. Did it stop the preaching of the gospel? Nope. No, because okay. Paul and Barnabas are gone, but what do you think the rest of the ones who are staying behind? Oh, we get how this all points to Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the things where, and this is a great reminder, a lot of the times we can get so caught up in little details and the personal offenses and someone's trying to say this and they're trying to stop. Okay, it's a small detail. It doesn't It doesn't do anything to harm the gospel. It doesn't stop the proclamation of Christ. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus has died and is risen. Yeah, it's probably annoying to have the, uh, the, the muckety-mucks of the town stirred up against you and kicking you out. But did it really do anything to harm the gospel? No, dare I say the gospel's the gospel still continued boldly forth. In fact, it even went more boldly forth because mm-hmm. of this. So we'll probably part stop here yeah. before we get into to the next chapter and get more of more more fun adventures with Paul and Barnabas. But just note again, this is a, a great, great symphony of God at work for the spreading of his word. Everything is about God at work. And you know what? Paul preaches like God does this, God does this, and God does this. And then we get to the narrative of Acts. And the point is still, God did this. God did this. The Holy Spirit brought this about. God brought this about. It's really, we call it the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the act of God through the Apostles. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. any other thoughts before we close on up? Uh, maybe just a quick hat tip. It, it seems almost that Paul's drawing his systematics from history based on the way he preaches. Oh, I think you, I think you might have something backwards there. Well, well, I leave that prospect open. (laughs) You're you're not supposed to make the backwards points. And with that, we're going to close it down before everything starts to get too weird and strange. Everyone have a great day. The Lord bless you and keep you wherever you are. Have a good one.
for real. <laughs>